Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. On the evening of July 15, 1871, a mob gathered in Greenwich, England, a small borough within London. It was a group of working-class men and women that the newspapers had begun calling the Roughs of Greenwich, and that night, they were angry. The mob paraded up and down the streets, screaming and howling. Some carried black flags printed with the word blood. The so-called roughs were there to protest a court ruling that found a wealthy young man named Edmund Pook innocent in the murder of his 17-year-old servant, Jane Clausen. To the working-class people in the street, Jane Clausen was a martyr, and her killer had just walked free. So the mob assembled on Edmund Pook Street and howled up at his fancy house as the night wore on. The courts had failed Jane Clausen, and now the roughs of Greenwich were ready to take her justice into their own hands. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our final episode on the murder of Jane Clausen. Last week, we covered Jane's difficult upbringing and the job that led her to an early death. This week, we'll look at the trial of Edmund Pook and the outrage caused by his acquittal. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. On May 2nd, 1871, Greenwich Police Court in London, England, overflowed with spectators as 20-year-old Edmund Pook stood trial for the murder of 17-year-old Jane Clausen. And even though the Horde believed Edmund to be guilty, the prosecution were struggling to prove it. One of the lead detectives for the case, John Mulvaney, did little to help. Detective Mulvaney, beside the testimonies given by your witnesses, do you have anything to offer as evidence for Mr. Pook's being guilty? Well, yes. Mr. Pook's clothing from the night of the attack was littered with bloodstains. 
Have you any proof that it is blood? And even if that may be, do you have any proof that it is human blood, not the blood of an animal? It is currently being inspected by an expert. So then the answer is no. You have no evidence other than this meaningless hearsay. Actually, when I spoke with Mr. Pook yesterday... You mean when you interrogated Mr. Pook without warning him against self-incrimination? Or as that practice is more commonly known, entrapment? Mulvaney was an honest cop, but the defense quickly painted him as an opportunist, trying to leverage his career off of Pook's conviction. To make matters worse, Mulvaney's evidence against Pook was weak. After Mulvaney laid out the evidence and the witnesses gave their testimonies, the court wasn't convinced that Edmund Pook had a single thing to do with Jane Clausen's death. But Mulvaney's instincts told him that Pook was the killer. He pleaded with the judge for more time. He asked for a week to collect more evidence. The judge granted this request. With that, the court went on a five-day recess. Mulvaney decided to prove that the blood on Pook's clothing came from Jane. He gathered up the bloody trousers and headed over to the home of Dr. Henry Lethby. Lethby was the chair of chemistry at London Hospital, and he agreed to look over the evidence at his home laboratory. Mulvaney handed Lethby Edmund Pook's shirt, pants, hat, and boots, along with the alleged murder weapon and samples of Jane's hair. After hours of scrutinizing the samples, Lethaby came to the detective with some much-needed good news. John, come in here for a moment. I know I've already asked a lot of you, but please, give me something to work with here. You're in luck. The samples I took from Pook's clothing, to the best of my understanding, are indeed blood. Oh, you may have just saved my career, Doctor. I cannot thank you enough. That's not all. The hammer you gave me, the so-called murder weapon, caked beneath a fairly dense layer of earth were several hairs. Hairs? Tell me that they were Jane's. They are identical to the victim's samples, both in color and structure. There is hope for you yet, Detective. Mulvaney was thrilled. Perhaps this evidence could put Edmund behind bars, and maybe this evidence could even help him regain his footing in court and save whatever reputation he still had left. But while Detective Mulvaney relished his first real break in the case, Edmund Pook had very little to be happy about. On the morning of Saturday, May 6th, Edmund was escorted by police from his jail cell back to the Greenwich Police Court. He traveled by train, and crowds jeered at him at every stop. Murderer! 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 Up until this point, Edmund had remained strangely calm. But in that moment, his cool demeanor finally cracked. He broke down and trembled with fear. The Pook family shared their son's distress. They were convinced that Edmund was innocent, and they were willing to pay their lawyer, Henry Pook, whatever it took to buy Edmund his freedom. Despite the last name, Henry Pook had no relation to the family. But after hearing one of the attorney's many impassioned rants in defense of Edmund, it would be easy to mistake him for a close relative. And Henry Pook wasn't afraid to take a stand outside of the courtroom either. On May 8th, a funeral was held for Jane Clausen. 
Thousands of members of the working and lower class from all across London crowded into the small cemetery to watch as the young woman's body was laid to rest. Once the ceremony was over, roughly 200 attendees gathered to riot outside of the Pook family home. That night, the mob shouted and jeered for Edmund while the family cowered inside. But Henry Pook wasn't scared. He was furious. So he rushed to the Greenwich police station and erupted in anger. Where is the sergeant on duty? I demand to speak with him this instant! That would be me, sir. What seems to be the issue? Are you aware of the atrocities currently happening outside the Pook family home? Hundreds of peasants are shouting obscenities at innocent people! Please, sir, calm down. I am aware of the situation. I have an officer on his way there right now. One officer? One? There should be half a dozen at the very least. This is a miscarriage of justice, a mockery. Do you not care for the lives of an innocent family? You think your one officer will be enough to handle that ocean of belligerent paupers? Fine. We'll send more officers. But if you scream one more word at me, you're getting thrown into a cell yourself. Pook successfully rallied more police that night, but his angry antics weren't as successful when court returned to session a week later. Both the judge and the jury were fed up with how frequently Henry Pook spoke out of turn and how quickly he would get aggressive with witnesses. And unfortunately for Henry, the court seemed to be quite interested in the blood and hair findings from Detective Mulvaney. But still, neither side seemed to convince the court one way or another. And so, on May 30th, the Greenwich Police Court ruled to have Edmund Pook stand trial for the murder of Jane Clausen at the Old Bailey, the Central Criminal Court of England and Wales. Henry Pook knew he stood a good chance at winning this second trial. Aside from the bloodstains, the prosecution's case consisted entirely of hearsay, and Detective Mulvaney seemed to fall apart just about every time he was cross-examined but there was still a chance that the jury could be swayed to convict. And if that happened, Henry Pook could scream and grandstand all he wanted. But it wouldn't change the fact that Edmund Pook would be taken to the gallows and put to death for Jane Clausen's murder. Coming up, Edmund Pook is given one last chance to prove his innocence. Every so often, something so impactful happens, it has the power to capture the attention of a whole country. An event so deadly or dumbfounding, it has no choice but to live on in infamy. Hi, Parcasters. It's Ashley Flowers, and I'm exposing the most sinister cases from the darkest corners of the globe in my new true crime limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, come along as I guide you on a wicked world tour. 15 different countries, 15 infamous crimes. Take a trip to Iceland where six people confessed to a murder that never actually happened. Journey to Mexico where a Lucha Libre wrestler moonlights as a serial killer. And travel to New Zealand where two friends hatch a deadly plan to become famous. Each episode of International Infamy explores the twists and turns of a notoriously high-profile case, zeroing in on the cultural details which make the crime unique to its location, and explaining why it couldn't have happened anywhere else. 
Follow my new Spotify original from ParCast, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers, and catch a new episode every week. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to our story. Throughout the month of May in 1871, 20-year-old Edmund Pook stood trial for the murder of Jane Clausen. The trial continued for weeks with no resolution. The jury was deadlocked. Finally, it was decided that Edmund would have a second trial at London's criminal court. But outside the courthouse, the general public had already made up their minds. Edmund Pook was guilty. And if England's legal system wouldn't punish the alleged murderer, then they would. Lock him up! Get him! Put him away! Edmund Pook had lived a wealthy and privileged life, and his public vilification was too much for him to take. One day, while Pook awaited his second trial at London's Newgate Prison, he collapsed into an epileptic seizure. Edmund had a history of epilepsy, but this seizure was worse than any he had ever had before. While he convulsed on the prison floor, Edmund nearly bit through his own tongue. Soon his face and prison uniform were stained red with blood. The Pook family was horrified when they heard the news, but Edmund's attorney, Henry Pook, was overjoyed. This could be his best chance at discounting the prosecution's most compelling piece of evidence, Edmund's bloody clothes. On July 12th, Edmund Pook's second trial began. Jane Clausen's murder was the talk of just about everyone in London. The streets surrounding Old Bailey Criminal Court were overrun with hundreds of people, all fighting over the few public seats in the courtroom. John Duke Coleridge led the prosecution. He knew that the odds were stacked against him. Nothing could change the fact that nobody had actually seen Edmund attack Jane. Coleridge may have had a surplus of evidence suggesting Edmund's guilt, but it was all disputable. Even though the majority of his evidence was conjecture, Coleridge knew that if he presented these testimonies with enough conviction, he could persuade the jury. But first, he had to deal with Chief Justice William Boville. And it was at that time that Jane Clausen walked off into the night to surely meet her death. To surely meet her death? What would lead you to believe that? Um, well, certain claims were made by Miss Clausen that would compel a jury to believe that she was lured to her own demise. However, I must abstain from sharing them with the jury, as they may be objected to. If you cannot substantiate these claims, then they are not sustainable in this court. And yes, I do object. Please do not present any testimonies that you are not willing and able to support, Mr. Coleridge. Judge Boville immediately knocked Coleridge off his game, so the prosecutor bumbled awkwardly through the witness testimonies, and then he dissolved completely. 
Coleridge began quoting alleged conversations between Jane and everyone from her cousin Charlotte Trott to her former landlady. At best, this was hearsay, and at worst, it was completely made up. That was the final straw for Judge Boville. And it was then that Miss Clausen told her confidant, close friend and confidant, Fanny Hamilton, that she was to run away with Edmund Pook. She said that he had promised Jane something, that they had lots to discuss, that she was not to tell anyone where she was going, that she was not to contact anyone whatsoever. Do you have any evidence outside of hearsay to support these claims? No, Your Honor, and I do recognize that the court may find this hearsay to be- That is exactly right. It is nothing but hearsay, gossip and tittle-tattle that has absolutely no place in this courtroom. In fact, every line of defense is entirely inadmissible, both in my court and on behalf of the Crown. Your Honor, if you could simply allow me to walk the jury once more through the line of events, I think that you might see- That will be all, Mr. Coleridge. This was a devastating blow to the prosecution. The biggest chance they stood at convincing the jury that Edmund and Jane had been romantically involved and was likely the father of Jane's unborn child had just crumbled. And it only got worse when Detective Mulvaney took the stand. Edmund's alibi for the night of Jane Clausen's attack was that he returned back to Greenwich after seeing a friend. He might have come by way of Royal Hill, which would have placed him right near Kidbrook Lane. Might have been? What do you mean? Well, it was certainly one of the roads. I am not acquainted with the locality. Don't you think it is perhaps your duty to be acquainted, Detective, as the lead investigator of this case? Yes, Your Honor, and I apologize. But to get to the point... I am at an utter loss for the prosecution. You bring me nothing but half-truths, unprovable facts, irrelevant minutiae that cannot even be relayed with confidence from the detective tasked with finding Jane's murderer. Do you not take this seriously, Mr. Mulvaney? Is this a joke to you? No, Your Honor. Then I suggest you start acting accordingly. Although the prosecution showed up to the trial wildly underprepared, the judge was acting particularly irritable. Things were shifting in Edmund Pook's favor, but still Coleridge took one last shot at swaying the courtroom. To the jury, Honor Beauville, and the courtroom today, I must apologize. But please, I urge you to remember one thing. All of us are simply doing our jobs to the best of our ability. It is our duty to defend the rights of poor girls like Jane, even if that means relying on less than ideal evidence. Sometimes that is all you have. Please bear this in mind as you come to your verdict. His appeal fell flat. Throughout the rest of the trial, the London Metropolitan Police were repeatedly vilified for their hasty persecution of Edmund Pook. Up until now, the focus of this trial was the brutal murder of Jane Clausen and how her life was cruelly taken from her. But suddenly, the trial began painting Edmund Pook as the victim. The jury's mind seemed made up. Edmund was innocent, and the poor boy had been unfairly targeted by police. But Judge Beauville still wasn't finished. He took this opportunity to plunge into a nearly six-and-a-half-hour-long tirade, in which he aired each and every grievance he had with the prosecution. From the half-baked case to the shoddy police work to the weak witness testimonies, Beauville ended his speech with a pointed and vicious takedown of Detective Mulvaney and the other detective on the case. 
Detective Mulvaney. Over the course of this trial, you have exposed yourself to be a thoroughly incompetent officer of the law. I believe you have tainted this case entirely with your lack of judgment. You are guilty of having entrapped Mr. Pook. You have sullied he and his family's good name. It is cruel to those who have to administer justice that the police have the privilege to make such statements, to mislead judges and juries, and to make them instruments perhaps in sacrificing the life of an innocent man. And with that, Beauville stormed out of the courtroom and left the verdict in the hands of the jury. It only took 20 minutes for them to reach a decision. Edmund Pook was innocent. The bailiff unlocked his handcuffs, and Edmund ran straight into the arms of his family as the courtroom applauded. In that moment, the Pook family had reason to believe that their nightmare had finally come to a close. But back in their hometown of Greenwich, things were just getting started. Coming up, the Greenwich working class take justice into their own hands. And now, back to our story. After a grueling trial, London Criminal Court finally ruled that 20-year-old Edmund Pook was not guilty of murder. By the time the verdict had been reached, the entire courtroom was on Pook's side. The win seemed like a massive victory. The press agreed. Local newspapers had been closely following the trial, and most journalists seemed to side with Edmund. The media also painted a very unflattering picture of Detective Mulvaney and the police department who tried to convict him. Many pieces written about this case highlighted how it exposed the shortcomings of the English justice system, from how much power the police really had to how poorly they chose to use it. Edmund Pook and his family had been keeping up with all of the papers, and as they left the courtroom, they had every reason to believe Edmund would be welcomed back into normal life with open arms. But it didn't turn out that way. When they returned home, they found an angry mob surrounding their house, and they weren't there to celebrate Edmund's freedom. By the evening of July 16th, this mob had swelled into the hundreds. The crowd was comprised entirely of working-class citizens of London, or as the newspapers would later refer to them, the Roughs of Greenwich. These were the same people who flocked in huge numbers to Kidbrook Lane, where Jane had been killed, to pay tribute to the murdered servant girl. The Roughs of Greenwich believed Edmund to be guilty of murdering Jane Clausen, and they were furious that his wealth and privilege helped him to get away with it. The Pooks did their best to slip through the crowd and sneak into their home, but the family's lawyer, Henry Pook, didn't make it in time. The mob grabbed him by the shirt and screamed obscenities in his face. But Edmund Pook is who they really wanted, and the roughs were willing to stomp and shout at his door until they got him. The collective incomprehensible screams, whistling and cursing emitted from the mob was deafening. They didn't begin to lose steam and head home until the early hours of the morning. But to the Pook family's dismay, the mob returned the very next evening. The media was quick to take notice. One reporter wrote, Greenwich is at present suffering from high fever. Partisanship is running wild, and the usually sedate burghers are arrayed into two hostile bands, 
whose sympathies and antipathies are as strongly marked as were those of the Montagues and the Capulets. The divide that the Clausen ruling brought to Greenwich was palpable. The animosity between the lower and upper class had never been so clear, and all the attention soon caught the eye of Jane's estranged father. James Clausen had abandoned his daughter when she was just 12 years old. As far as we know, he hadn't even bothered to attend her funeral. But now that Jane had morphed into a figurehead for the working class, he decided it was time to pitch in to bring her justice. William, Elizabeth. I don't know what to say. It took all this to get you back in Greenwich. I'm sorry. I know I've done wrong by her, but here I am. Too little, too late. William, please. You're still Jane's father. Please, just try and understand. I'm as lost as the rest of you. I know my actions may not have always reflected it, but I only left Jane because I knew I would only bring her down. And now look at what has happened. There has been no justice. The man who murdered my girl still walks the streets freely. The pook boy? The court said... The court said? If the court can't bring our family justice, we'll have to do it ourselves. The roughs of Greenwich shared James Clausen's anger. The mob continued their marathon hollering for three straight days, and on Monday, July 19, 1871, they doubled down. That day, a cart rolled in front of the Pook home. On the cart were two effigies. One depicted Edmund with a hammer raised high above his head. The other was of Jane Clausen, cowering beneath the murder weapon. Soon, the crowd wheeled the sculptures all around town. Other members of the mob held up signs that read, Pook the Butcher. However, just as they began heading back towards 3 London Street, the crowd was met with a second rival mob made up of upper-class Pook sympathizers, and they were just as angry. The opposing mob rushed the lower-class protesters and began tearing apart the effigies. Go back to your manor, you elitist scum! Why? So you can continue to defile the good name of a 20-year-old man? Edmund is innocent! Go ahead! Turn a blind eye! How many of us must die before you realize that a human life means more than reputation? Jane was murdered like a dog out in the street, and your concern is with that wealthy fool? What happened to Jane is a tragedy, but- Don't give me your excuses! But it didn't take long for more working-class men around London to hear about the brawl and come running to join in. Soon there were over 3,000 men looking for a fight. The Pook sympathizers turned and ran. With their rivals now out of their way, the roughs of Greenwich picked up right where they left off. They marched through the city and brought traffic to a stop, screaming their lungs out until the dead of night, thousands strong. And the Pooks could not stand it any longer. What do we do? I mean, what's stopping them from barging in here? They could kill us all! Don't you worry, Edmund. No one is going to hurt you. But you're right, this is an outrage that these animals are allowed to run through the streets screaming their lies. Where are the police? Does anyone even care? Of course they care. Why don't you go lay down? Henry, get down to the police station this instant. If Edmund doesn't see officers lining the street the next time he looks out his window, there will be hell to pay. 
Henry Pook reached out to the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police and begged for help. And the next day, when the crowd re-emerged in front of the Pook's home, the police showed up. But they did nothing to break up the crowd. Because the truth was, there was no need for police at all. This was a crowd, not a riot. The mob outside of the Pook house may have been loud and raucous, but they never turned violent. What the Pooks and all of the upper class failed to realize about the demonstration was that it wasn't about vengeance. It wasn't about destruction or inflicting physical damage on any person or place. It was about proving a point. Because both the British government and the court system had failed Jane Clausen. And showing up outside the Pook family's home night after night was the only thing the working-class citizens in London could do to make things right. They screamed, they waved flags, and they got the Pook's attention. And since they couldn't bring Jane Clausen justice, that was the next best thing. Finally, the upper class had no choice but to face the subjugated members of society that they had cast aside. And so, feeling like he had no other option, Edmund's father, Ebenezer, spoke to anyone he could to try and reclaim his family's dignity. So, Mr. Pook, what do you wish the public to know about you since the trial? I wish for all of Greenwich to consider one thing. In spite of the atrocities committed against Miss Clausen, my son was found not guilty. That is the best our courts could do, and we simply must act accordingly. But what of the dodgy case that the prosecution had? Not to imply any bias, but it is not out of the question for the public to have their doubts. And so these monsters have sought out to ruin the reputation of my family based on doubts? The future of my son? Do you think poor Edmund shall ever be able to take up work or start a career after this? All this because of doubt? We are human beings, we have lives. But I fear as though we may not have any future in Greenwich after all is said and done. Ebenezer and Henry met to figure out a plan. They decided to sue the police and courts. Not much came of these lawsuits, but much to the Pook's dismay, they did attract some new, unwanted attention. On Friday, August 18, 1871, a novella entitled The Eltham Tragedy Reviewed hit bookstores all throughout London. The pamphlet outlined an outlandish theory about how Edmund Pook allegedly murdered Jane Clausen, and it also served as a scathing testament to the evils of both the upper class and the justice system. Although it had very little factual evidence to bolster its claims, the book sold well. For Edmund Pook, this was the final straw. By late December of 1871, he fled from the town he had called home his entire life and moved to a seaside village. In the years to follow, the rest of the Pook clan either followed Edmund out of town or passed away. The mystery of Jane Clausen's death likely left Greenwich with them. With all of this in mind, I believe Edmund murdered Jane Clausen. Although impossible to prove, so many of the witness testimonies corroborated the fact that Edmund Pook was known to cozy up to working-class women and several of these women completely disappeared after becoming romantically involved with him. While that may be the case, I believe that there just isn't enough evidence to consider Edmund guilty. Without any eyewitnesses to the crime itself or substantial physical evidence, it could have been anyone. Regardless of who murdered her, 
The memory of Jane Clausen remains strong to this day. Jane worked and struggled since she was 12 years old, and then she paid for it with her life. To the roughs of Greenwich, this injustice was the perfect analogy for the mistreatment that the working class endured at the hands of society. It's no wonder that she became a martyr for London's marginalized lower class. Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. For more information on Jane Clausen, amongst the many sources we used, we found Pretty Jane and the Viper of Kidbrook Lane by Paul Thomas Murphy extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Spencer Fox, with writing assistance by Giles Hosseth and River Donahue. Fact-checking by Amber Hurley, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Ellie Schiff, Julian Smith, Tom Bauer, and Drew Lawn. Unsolved Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Hi, listeners. It's Ashley Flowers, and here's a quick reminder to check out my new true crime limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, I'm taking you across the globe to look at 15 of the most notorious crimes from 15 different countries. Some stories are sure to shock. Some may leave you stumped, but all are quite the trip. Follow my new series, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.